happy Mother's Day. What a beautiful congregation of people. And uh, what a privilege it is to be able to stand before you today on this beautiful day and to look into the Word of God together. What a great privilege. Amen. God is so good, isn't he? We're so blessed in this church. So blessed to have such a wonderful body of believers. And uh, you're an important part of that. Let's read together a few verses in your hearing. We'll start at verse 21 of 2 Kings 5. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and, and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garment and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bear them before him. And they carried them what that means. Verse 24, and when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. These are his two servants that carried the silver and the, the, new, the new clothes. Verse 25, but he went in, this referring to Gehazi, stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, whence cometh thou, Gehazi? Sounds like a parent, doesn't it? Just sort of, where you been? Nowhere. And he said, thy servant went no whither. That's all basically old English for saying, not really anywhere, just hanging around. And he said unto him, went not mine heart with thee? Boy, I learned at a young age you couldn't lie to your mother because, boy, she'd find out. My heart went with thee. I was with you and you didn't even realize it. <laughs> went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? He's asking them these rhetorical questions. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Leprosy was fully developed. It would become white with all of the scars and all of the scabs. I want to speak to you this morning on this, on this subject. Mercy without measure. Mercy without measure. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for your presence. What a good God you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather with your people in your house, to lift up the name of God, to declare your principles, Lord, from your word. Open our hearts and minds now, God, to receive what you would have us to know. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Naaman uh, was an individual in the uh, Syrian army that would be the equivalent of the Joint Chief of Staff, what we think of today, individual in charge of the different armed branches of the military. Syria, at this particular time, was the most fierce 
military uh, in the world. And Naaman was in charge of that military. He was a very, um, a very skilled warrior. Um, he was also very respected. The Bible even says that he was a good man, which is interesting because Syria was a very fierce uh, army and they oftentimes fought against Israel. And although Naaman was respected and he had the complete trust and confidence of the king of Syria, he, he could never be in the presence of the king because he had the disease that they all dreaded at that time, leprosy. Leprosy was uh, very highly contagious. If you can think of today, if cancer was contagious, you can imagine what it would be like to have cancer in our culture today, knowing that it's highly contagious. You were shunned. You were isolated. Um, if you received or got the disease of leprosy in that day, you could not mix with other people. You, um, you, it was obvious the disease that you had because it was visible. And it was a slow death. It would eventually deteriorate the skin and, and fingers and would fall off and toes and and it was, it was just a horrible, horrible disease, and there was no cure for it outside of the power of God. Well, Naaman had this disease, and so there was this contrast between this awful disease of leprosy that Naaman had, and yet also being a person of a very powerful position. Well, Naaman had tried everything. They were a wealthy nation, and they had tried every single treatment, everything that was possible that they could have done to help Naaman was bestowed upon him, and yet nothing worked. And, and Naaman had a, a, a young uh, lady that was in his uh, house that was a maid, and uh, they had captured her from Israel in one of the fights that they had had. And uh, this, this girl that was a maid in Naaman's household, uh, she knew about Elisha and this prophet from Israel and she knew that Elisha had the power to pray for him and he could be healed and so she got word up maybe telling Naaman's wife and anyhow word got up to Naaman that there was there was this this prophet that was in Israel and his name was Elisha and he had the power to pray and and it's possible that you know Naaman could be healed that it's interesting to me that this maid uh, let this be known up through the ranks. It showed that she really did care for her boss, showed that he was probably a good boss for her to even share this information. And I can't really tell this story without being reminded of a project that I had in Bible school when I was 17 years old, and I was given the character of Naaman. I was supposed to do a Sunday school project. One Sunday morning, I was bored in church, and I wrote a song to the tune of the Beverly Hillbillies in, in church, about Naaman. It went like this. Naaman was a man, captain of the Syrian host. He was a man of valor, but that's not the most. The man had leprosy. It bothered him day and night. He wished he could be healed before he lost his might. <laughs> well, his armies had gone out and captured a maid to wait on his wife. She was more like a slave, but this little girl told Naaman's wife a prophet from Israel could save his life. <laughs> so... <laughs> so I had to present this to the class and uh, so I had gotten all of it written and I had my friend who played an acoustic guitar to back me up and we made the presentation before our class in uh, Bible school 
and uh, the teacher was really happy as I sang this song and she thought it was fun until I got to the end and when I got to the very end of the song I said and when he came up for the seventh time his skin was as soft as a baby's behind <laughs> oh she was so mad at me that teacher was so mad she said that's not to be sung to 12 year olds I said it's the only thing I could think of that rhymed but in my defense it was accurate with the Bible because verse 14 says Naaman's flesh came again unto him as a little child and he was clean so the teacher was merciful to me and showed me mercy but after Naaman was healed by dipping seven times in this Jordan River he wanted to repay Elisha so he returned to his house and he offered him many expensive gifts and Elisha turned him down said no this you know this was from God he turned down all those gifts well Gehazi was Elisha's servant and he worked there as sort of the the individual in the house that took care of things and he was sort of Elisha's personal assistant and uh, he got to thinking about naming this wealthy general from Syria that wanted to give all kinds of money and gifts and clothes and his master Elisha turned him down and as Naaman's entourage and chariots, as they headed on down that dusty road, Gehazi thought, we just lost a good opportunity. And so he got a couple of servants with him, and boy, they took off after Naaman's entourage, and they saw him coming, and they slowed down, and, and uh, they got up there close to him, and Gehazi said, my master has changed his mind. There are two young men, you know, that have come, I don't know, maybe he met up some story about a being Bible school students or something. There's two young men that are come from Mount Ephraim and they, uh, they, they could use some help. They could use some assistance, you know. And So uh, my master was thinking that maybe, uh, you know, two bags of silver and two changes of garment and, and uh, maybe some of that would, uh, w would be beneficial. Name was like, okay, well, no problem. That was even less than what he had originally offered. So he was just so thankful. He was, he was cured of leprosy. He was so happy, he, was, he would have given them more than that. But they took it all, and so he, uh, Gehazi said, thank you, you know, my master will be so happy, and, and you guys have a safe trip back to Syria. We'll see you. They took off, and he and his two servants go back, but before they get to the house, they stop by at this tower. I don't know if it's an abandoned tower, but it was a hiding place. They put all the stuff in there and told the two servants they could go home. And he goes into the house, and Elisha says, where have you been, Gehazi? No, just about, you know, just not really anywhere. He said, I know where you went. My heart went with you. This wasn't the time to receive gifts. And now the leprosy that was on Naaman is going to be on you. And immediately Gehazi's skin turns white at the advanced stages of leprosy. Oh, Gehazi, what were you thinking? Why did you take this? And now you've got the leprosy that came from Naaman. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but have you ever felt like that you made mistakes in your life and God is now paying you back in proportion to the mistakes that you made? I remember when I was just about eight or nine, uh, years old my family lived 
behind the old Brunswick Bowling Alley on Babcock Street. And there was an old J.M. Fields that was across the street. And any of you remember J.M. Fields? Anybody around here old as me? That, yeah. And J.M. Fields was kind of like a precursor to Walmart. They were uh, like a Zares. Do you remember Zares? It was kind of like a Zares. And, and uh, I guess Walmart's put all those guys out of business. But uh, J.M. Fields was right across the street. And, and uh, we would go over there. And my school, Central Junior High School, was right behind there. And we would go over to J.M. Fields and so forth and, and uh, get candy and buy Archie comic books and all that kind of stuff as kids. And uh, one day, my buddies and I that lived kind of in that area... We were out in the woods. It seemed like we were always looking for treasure. We were always thinking, we, we'd heard some story that there had been a briefcase full of money that somebody had dumped out in the woods. So we were always just scrounging around looking for stuff. And uh, we found an old busted uh, wheelchair uh, one time. And I got my friends to, to take it back to the house. And it was kind of wobbly and stuff. But we got it where it would function. And I got up in the cupboard where uh, my mom uh, kept all the, the different canned goods and whatnot. And, I took down some of these cans and, uh, and I dumped all the green beans or whatever they were in Tupperware bowls and I took these cans and took the Del Monte stickers off from the sides of it and all that and, and I put white paper around it and I wrote, help the needy children. And I drew a little wheelchair and all of that and, and uh, I said to my friends, I've got a plan. They said, what in the world are we going to do? I said, I'm going to get in the wheelchair and I'm going to pretend that I'm crippled. And you guys, each one are going to hold a can. We're going to go sit in front of J.M. Fields, and we're going to collect money. And they said, are we allowed to do that? I said, I think so. I think it'll be all right. <laughs> so on Saturday morning, boy, we got our wheelchair, and we get over there, and my, my friends have got the cans. They're holding the cans. And we sit up out in front of J.M. Fields, and I'm in the wheelchair like this. And, and I just sit there, and I try to look real pitiful. And, and my friends are going around and collecting uh, money from everybody. And people are coming out of J.M. Fields. And they're giving money and giving money, you know. And, and one lady came out and she said, uh, I don't know, you guys, I mean, we, we had literally buckets that were handwritten with uh, magic markers and stuff. And she said, I don't know, you guys have enough uh, uh, authorization. Uh, what, who are y'all with? And my friends just said, we're with him. And they all pointed to me. And I went, people gave more money. It was amazing. And uh, so we collected money and collected money. And I didn't realize that there was an older man that was sitting on a bench and he was just kind of watching us. And after a while, my friends were, we were out there for like five or six hours. And uh, my friend said, our buckets are almost full of money. And uh, I said, okay, when I say go, we're going to just jump up and we're just going to take off running. Well, little did I know that this elderly man had been watching for about an hour. And all of a sudden, I say, go, and they take off running. I jump out of the wheelchair and take off running. And when I do, this man gasps and falls off of his seat. He thought he had seen an instant miracle right there. <laughs> so we take off running, and we're like, you know, bank robbers. We're so excited about this money. We go in my room, and back then was in the 70s you had that old shag carpet you know and we poured all that change out you know we were running our fingers through it we were like man we're millionaires and all of that and we had locked the door you know and uh, all of a sudden I heard this knock at the door it was my dad David Ellis Myers open this door and my friends and I we all panicked and we're trying to drag the change under the bed pulling it because you know, when you're a kid, you, you show up with money, you know something's happened because you're not supposed to have money. 
So we tried to scrape it all. He could hear us back there, you know. And my friends are like, and we're trying to pull all the money out of the bed. And we get all under the bed, and we get like, we put the ruffle things on the bed down where it's kind of covering. And my friends all line up on the sides of the bed. And I open the door, and I'm like, hey, Dad, how are you? And like Elisha, where have you been? Nothing, nowhere. We're just hanging out. He looks at my friends all lined up on the bed. He goes over there, you know, big, strong guy, and he just flips that bed up. My friends, it's amazing how friends are. They all immediately evaporated. <laughs> they were gone. They all of a sudden had to go home. They were busy. Their mother was calling them. Like roaches in the daylight, they just took off. And he, he flips that bed up, and there's all that change. He said, where did you get this money? I said, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but people just gave it to us. <laughs> so he said, I want you to tell me the truth. So I told him about the wheelchair and all that. He was devastated. And uh, no doubt him and my mother thought they were raising a criminal. And so they all got together and huddled and my dad was like, I think he needs a whipping and he needs to be put on restriction and all that. And uh, my mother, you know, it's an amazing thing the way God gives you a mother and a father. You have like the Old Testament and the New Testament. <laughs> you have like the law and then you have like grace. And they would oftentimes collaborate and I could hear them, you know, I think he needs this and I think he needs that and he probably needs both. And, and so it was agreed upon somehow, I think... Uh, Somehow grace and mercy was extended to me, and it was, it was agreed upon that we would turn the money. We had, we had raised over $80, and uh, so it was agreed that we would go over. The, at the bowl now, they were having a muscular dystrophy uh, drive. You know, remember Jerry's kids and the telethon and all that? Well, they were having some sort of a drive, so my dad said, people gave the money thinking that, so we're going to go, and we're going to uh, turn the money over into uh, to the bowl now and all that. So we went over there, and, and uh, my dad said, you know, he didn't say why. He just said, uh, you know, these boys want to give this money to uh, Muscular Dystrophy Society. And uh, they said, oh, that's wonderful. And they said, wow, that's a lot, like $83.25. And they said, that is fantastic. And uh, so we gave it to them, and they took our picture and all of that. And uh, <laughs> little did we know that there was a contest that was going on. They called us back later. We had won the contest. They gave us a trophy, and they put our picture in the newspaper with a trophy. Oh, my mother was upset. She said, now they're being rewarded for dishonesty. My dad's like, we turned it into the Muscular Dystrophy Society. Debbie, what do you want me to do? Five years later, 14 years old, I learned that I had severe scoliosis, curvature of the spine. And without surgery, they told me, two orthopedic doctors told me in Orlando that I would be permanently in a wheelchair at 25 years old. And when I was just a boy, 14 years old, and I heard that, um, that diagnosis, I thought back and I said, you know what? You're getting what you deserve. Because you pretended to be crippled and you weren't crippled. So now the leprosy of Naaman is coming on you, Gehazi. And even though I never had surgery, 
And here I stand before you at 53 years old. God touched me and healed me, and I'm not in a wheelchair. All of these years later, he has kept me and strengthened me and gave me mercy without measure. Because a case could be made that I deserve that. But aren't you glad God doesn't work on the basis of what you and I deserve? You see, folks, mercy without measure is, is mercy that's not in proportion to your sins. Mercy without measure is that God's love for us is not measured based upon what we have done or have not done. God gives us mercy that is way beyond what you and I would ever deserve, what we would ever want. There's no way that God's love and His mercy for us is measured based upon what we deserve or we would never have enough. But God's love goes beyond that. His mercy goes beyond that. His grace is greater than your worst mistake. His love is bigger Oh, I think we ought to lift our hands and thank the Lord for mercy that is without measure. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Gehazi is struck with leprosy, and it would appear that he would now be an outcast for the rest of his life. But the story makes a dramatic turn. And it's almost unexplainable. Because in three chapters later, 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 4, it says, And the king, the king, talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. And it came to pass as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life, cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. It appears now that Gehazi is hanging out with the king of Israel. Maybe he has a new job because Elisha has another servant now. Gehazi never goes back to work for Elisha. But we get a few verses a few chapters later that Gehazi is hanging out with the king of Israel. Now, ladies and gentlemen, lepers did not hang out with the king of Israel, with any king. Even Naaman, as the captain of the guard, did not hang out with his king in Syria. They're telling stories about Elisha, his old boss, and when this lady and her son that they're talking about comes before the king to make a petition for some assistance. The king appoints unto her a chief officer that the Bible says restores everything that she's lost for seven years, her crops, the fruit of the field. And, and Elisha, uh, Elisha's tales are known throughout all of the land. Gehazi is either working for the king or he's socializing with the king or whatever it is, he's in the king's vicinity. And he's telling a story about Elisha. How did Gehazi get to the king's house? How if he had advanced leprosy three chapters earlier? Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one explanation. In chapter 7, 
in between chapter 5 that we read in our text and chapter 8 where we see that Gehazi is hanging out with the king of Israel. Something very interesting happened in chapter 7. One chapter before, city of Samaria is under siege. It's the Syrian army once again. They have come to conquer Samaria. And they conquered Samaria by just putting a ring around the city, not allowing anybody to come in or come out or no goods could go in and they basically were just starving them out everybody in Samaria is starving to death because this great Syrian army has basically put a block all the way around a blockade around the city but chapter 8 or rather chapter 7 tells us about four lepers that are sitting on the outskirts of the city and it doesn't give us their names it just says that there are four lepers and they're sitting on the outskirts of the city and they make a decision. They say, you know what? We're not going to just sit here and die. They have to be on the outside of the city because, again, they were outcasts. They couldn't just hang out with everyone else because leprosy, you could, if you just bumped up against them, you could catch it. So they, they, were, they, they had to stay on the outskirts of the city. They said, what are we going to do out here? We're going to die. If we sit here, we're going to die. And, and if we go inside the city, we're going to die because they're starving to death. And, and there's the Syrian army. And if we go over there, we may die. So these four lepers sit there and say, well, what are we going to do? And one of them says, why sit we here and die? And little did I know. The Jewish historians believe that one of these lepers was Gehazi. Sitting out there on the outskirts of the city, somebody rallied them four lepers together and said, let's go to the Syrian camp. And no doubt there was some dissension among the ranks because the Syrians were known as being very brutal. Josephus, the Jewish historian, he says that they would take people that they had captured and cut off their arms and legs and they would parade them in bamboo cages around the city and they would take away the people's even desire to fight no doubt these stories no doubt maybe there was even that going on around the city of Samaria but somebody in that four leper group said why don't we go maybe God will show us favor why don't we go to the Syrian camp maybe the Syrian camp will have a change of attitude maybe they'll feel sorry for us. maybe they'll give us something to eat before we die and maybe some of the others in that group said but if we go there, they're going to kill us. And they said, well, we're going to die if we sit here anyhow. I don't know how it all worked out because the Bible doesn't say specifically. But it just says that those four lepers dragging their legs, their arms, maybe one of them picked up a stick, thought, you know what, if nothing else, I can defend myself and take a couple of good swipes at somebody. If they don't. And they make their way to the Syrian camp. Little did they know God's working on the other side. Aren't you glad God works on the other side? God's been working on the other side. The Syrians all hear this noise. They think the, the Sumerians have hired other armies, mercenaries to come, and they're going to be surrounded. They hear a noise of chariots. And all. They didn't know that it was God's army. You said, oh, you don't think God did that. Well, you know what? Another time, Elisha prayed in the city of Dothan. That's not Dothan, Alabama. This is Dothan, the Bible says. He prayed whenever a big army had come to capture them. And to take Elisha because the king's battle plans were being made known to Elisha. God would reveal it. And so when they would come against Israel, they were already defeated. And they said, we got to go and capture that prophet. He's killing us. They sent 5,000 soldiers there. Elisha's new servant, the one that replaced Gehazi, he comes out. He's making tea for his boss in the morning. He comes out there and 5,000 soldiers have surrounded the house. 
enemy soldiers. He goes back in shaking and nervous. Uh, 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 Master uh, Elisha, uh, you may want to come look at this. He comes out there and stands on the porch and looks around and says, isn't that amazing? What a good God we serve. Goes back in the house. The servant's like, uh, excuse me, excuse me. What, you said a good God. Do you see what I see? And Elisha says, Lord, open up my servant's eyes. And when his eyes were opened up, not only did he see the 5,000 soldiers, but he saw God's army behind him, and it was without number. I'm going to tell you something. God's got an army that is without number. You may not be able to see it, but God's working on your behalf. Oh, yes, he is. And I don't know whether they saw it or just heard it. The Bible said they heard a great noise. But whatever happened, that Syrian army was so afraid. They were so, the Bible says they took off and they were running so fast. They were leaving their possessions and goods as they went. And they left a camp full of wealth, full of food, empty Domino's pizza boxes. <laughs> Domino's can deliver anywhere, even in the desert during a battle. <laughs> And when those four lepers got there, they're looking all around and poking their heads in tents. There's food in here. Somebody's got fried chicken. They sit down. They start eating and eating and eating. They eat so much. At any moment, they know these Syrians are going to show up and kill them. We're going to go out with a good meal. Boy, they ate. They went to another camp, and I can see them lepers saying, somebody, we got more over here. And they went over there, and they got more food and more food, and they ate and ate. And someone said, where's the Syrians? He said, I don't know. And somebody in that group, maybe it was Gehazi, somebody said, we can't eat all this food whenever Samaria is starving to death. We got to go tell them. They said, they'll never believe us. We got to go anyhow. I don't think I can walk. I've eaten so much. I don't know if I can move. Well, you stay here and you guard the camp. Maybe they left somebody there. I don't know. But they all went to the porter. The Bible says the porter, the guy that was the keeper of the gate of Samaria. They said, hey, no, we're not letting you guys in the city. We've told you. You're not coming in here. You've got leprosy. Get out of here. And I can just see them hollering through the little. The Syrians have left, and their camp is full of food. If you guys come out here, you can have all of it. We're full. We can't eat anymore. They're like, yeah, right. We open these gates, you're going to run in here. There's no way. You better tell your boss, I'm telling you, there's food out here. If you don't eat it, the coyotes are going to eat it. Somebody's got to eat it. The guy's like, there's no food out there. The Syrian army, and they're looking, you know, I don't know what they have, binoculars. I don't know what they had back then. Maybe they just had them long things. They were, whatever they tried to see, they're like, there's no move. Somebody, run it up the line. They run it up the line, and the king's like, no, this is a trap. We're going to open the gates, everybody run out there, and then the Syrians are hidden in the hills. They're going to come and capture us, and we can't do that. And, and someone said, well, what if it's true? And, you know, we're going to be start. Finally, they sent a team out, and they just sent, like, a, an advanced team out. They got some horses and some guys, and they said, you guys go out and tell us. We're all going to stay in here and spy it all out. And they all go out there, and, you know, they ate all they could eat before they brought word back. <laughs> Finally, they come back and they're like, it's true. The Syrian camp is full. It's full of food. And the lepers are like, I told you. We told you guys. You didn't listen to us. They opened those gates and the people ran with such a force that the guy who was guarding the gate got trampled to death. The Bible says that. 
The people literally ran out of there. And maybe the word got back to the king. Who was it that discovered this? It was four lepers. Maybe that's how Gehazi got back there. But the Jewish historians believe that Gehazi was healed when he shared what he had been given with everyone else. Folks, there's something about whenever he was first plagued with this leprosy, it was because he tried to take something that wasn't his. But then when he decided to share the blessing of God with others, there was a healing that came from that. Something happened for him to be in the presence of the king. They decided that they would share. Ladies and gentlemen, if we will open up our arms and open up our hearts and say, God has been so good to us. He has shown us mercy beyond measure, but it's not ours to just keep. We've got to tell all those that are in the city. We've got to share it with everybody. It doesn't matter if it's the king or the guy guarding the gate. It doesn't matter if our neighbor or our co-worker or our friend. We've got to tell everybody there's food at the master's table. There is a table spread where the saints of God are fed. If we just keep this to ourselves, we get spiritual leprosy. We get lethargic and we get fat and we don't, but God has designed this gospel so that it be shared. That's why whenever you're teaching a Bible study or you're witnessing to someone or you're sharing the gospel, there is something healing. There's something that touches you on your innermost being that encourages you and you know you are doing what God designed you to do. Mercy without measure. God blesses us way beyond what we deserve. There's healing. There's hope. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again. Abundant mercy again. What makes mercy be without measure? Let me tell you what it is. It's mercy that just comes again and again and again and again. It's without measure. It doesn't have a stopping point. It comes again. You say, but old pastor, I know the right way to live and, and I've made mistakes and, and yet his mercy comes again and again and again, and you say, God, there's got to be a limit to it. There's got to be some uh, stopgap. There's got to be some lid. But God says, my mercy is abundant. My mercy is without measure. It's great. It's without any limitation. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad we don't have to live the rest of our lives in the shadow of our past mistakes. There is a God that has given us abundant mercy without measure. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Mercy is coming again. Everybody say again. Just like a mother that continues to love and forgive her child, even though everybody else is through with them. Have you ever heard people carry on? I was in Walmart or Walgreens the other day. I guess it was yesterday. Because today's Mother's Day. And my 
my boys and I were in Walgreens and we were buying flowers for my wife and some cards and stuff and uh, then we went over to the Gailey's house after the, the, the funeral service for Brother Gailey's mother and there were flowers everywhere there and I was thinking about those little flowers that I had from Walgreens I'm not nine, I'm 53, but it's still the same thought process. <laughs> and I said to Sister Lisa Johnson, I said, I've got those flowers in the car for Sister Amy, but I'm afraid they're going to die. She said, well, bring them in, and I can put them in a vase and cut the stems on the bottom and all that. So I said, okay, and she brought them in, and, or I brought them in, and she fixed them up. I had gone in the room where the boys were watching a video, and I came out there, and the flowers were, they looked so much fuller than what I had bought. And I said, wow, they look beautiful. How would you arrange them? She said, I took some of the flowers from the funeral service and put them in there. I said, oh, it looks beautiful. Brought it home, put it on the table, had cards for my wife. It's a beautiful flower arrangement. My wife comes home. She's like, oh, those flowers are so beautiful. I said, thank you so much. hours later we're laid in bed you know how pillow talk is right <laughs> we're laid in bed and she said honey I said yeah she said where'd you get those flowers from <laughs> I said well I went to Walgreens she said did you take some of the flowers from the funeral home and put it I said I didn't do it Elisa did it <laughs> While we were in Walgreens getting cards and flowers and all this stuff, there was this kid that was screaming like crazy. And there was this older man that was to the left of me, and he was looking for, you know how it is, the day before Mother's Day. It's all those, it's all the same people that shop on Christmas Eve that are there. And there's no cards left. You have to just pick what's left over, you know. And this older guy's standing there next to me, and he's having the same problems I am trying to figure out what to give from a few cards that are left. And this kid is screaming its head off. And I said, without even thinking, that kid sounds like he needs a whooping. <laughs> and the guy kind of turns and looks at me and smiles. And I said, are we still allowed to say that? <laughs> I said, well, it's true whether we're allowed to say it or not. <laughs> but that's not our kid. The mother, she kept working with this child and working. I mean, after about the third screech that was creating a whole new range of notes, I was ready for that kid to be dealt with, but the mother was a whole different thing. Again and again and again. Child makes a mistake and the mother is still there again and again. Something in her nature that loves again, hopes again. Oh, Johnny's getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah, but I just think he's going through a stage. He's been going, he's gone through more stages than the Saturn V rocket. <laughs> to the rest of us, we're like, come on. But to a mother, it's a whole different ballgame. She gives again, hopes again, loves again. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible said if our parents are like that, how much more so our Heavenly Father? How many times have we slapped God in the face with our actions? 
and God loves again. God stretches out his arms again. I feel like I'm talking to somebody this morning. You feel like you've gone too far away from God. You've made too many mistakes that, that there's no way God... I'm going to tell you something. His mercy is without measure. His love is greater than your biggest mistake. It comes again and again and again and again. It's without limitation. It's a supply that will never run out. That's the mercy and love of God. And if God is giving again and again and again, how much more so should you and I try again? Hey, well, Pastor, I've tried, but I just I'm making the mistakes. Well, I close this morning by simply saying this. Follow the path that Gehazi took. Gehazi sat at the feet of the most powerful man of God in the land. And messed up. You can be raised in church and mess up. But he didn't sit on the outside of a city and suck his thumb and die as a leper. The first thing that he did is say, We're gonna get up. And I wanna say to you today, the first thing you gotta do is get up. Why sit we here and die? I'm not going to live my life with regret and with remorse and feeling like my whole life is going to be defined by my past mistakes. you got to get up again. Who knows, but if God won't be merciful to me. In their pain and their confusion and heartache, they got up. you got to get back up. The second thing that he did was he gave he gave up. Not only do you got to get up, but you got to give up. The lepers had to give up what they had been blessed with. You and I have been blessed with free will, but we've got to give that up when we come to the Lord. The Lord prayed and said, not my will, but thy will be done. I remember Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade, telling us, we, you, I used to work in Orlando, we worked with Campus Crusade, and I remember Bill Bright telling us when he was alive, he said, when I came to the Lord, he said, I wrote out a contract with God. He was a successful businessman in California before he was saved. But he said, when I came to God, I wrote up a contract, and he said, I give up my will, I give up my rights, I am hereby for the rest of my life a servant of Jesus Christ. He said, every time I felt like in my life that I had been done wrong or that somebody had hurt me, I went back to that contract, and I said, I gave up my rights. I gave up my free will. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about living a blessed life. You want to talk about giving up your pride, giving up your hurt, giving up your pain. If you'll get up and give up. Come on, I'm not going to fight it anymore. I believe that God has saved me and I'm going to give up my free will and say, God, I'm yours. I am yours for the rest of my life. And then the third one is go up. Get up, give up, and go up. Gehazi went up to the king's house. In case you didn't know this, the king always lived higher than everybody else in the city. And when we read in chapter 8, Gehazi is up in the throne room. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what's in the throne room? The mercy seat. Woo! 
Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm going to make up my mind. As much as God's going to give mercy, I'm going to run to the mercy seat. I'm not going to stay down here in all of my problems and trials and turmoil. I'm going to ascend until the hill of the Lord. I am going to go up to a higher place. I'm going to get the blessings that God has designed for me and for you. He wants you to go up to a higher place. Go up. Go up to a new job. Go up in your quality of life. Go up in your better relationships. Go up higher with more purpose and peace than you've ever had before. More joy than you've ever had before. How do we get there? We've got all this other stuff. So did Gehazi. But if you get up, if you give up, they had to give up all that they had been blessed with to the rest of that city. Then you will go up. And one day, ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to just go up to a higher place. We're going to go up to a holy place. <laughs> Lift up your heads, ladies and gentlemen. Your redemption draweth nigh. That mercy without measure is coming to you again today and tomorrow and this week and next week. And one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be caught up to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. You say, oh, I can never do it. I couldn't either on my own. But there's a God that's merciful, that's given us mercy without measure. Oh, come on, why don't you stand to your feet right now? Why don't you lift your hands and your voices and thank Him for His mercy? In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Labo Shokotarabahaya. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Holy Ghost is talking right now to some folks. The enemy wants you to drown in your past mistakes. He wants it to be a vortex that just sucks you down spiritually. Pulls you down and you think you can't ever get out of it. I feel the love and mercy of God reaching out today. Calling you. Come on, it's time to run to the mercy seat. I got to get up. I got to dust myself off. I gotta come one more time to the Lord. I believe that God will hear my cry. And I gotta give up this will, this that I've been fighting with, trying to do it my way. Lord, I'm gonna give it all over to you today. And I'm gonna ask you to come into my heart. I wonder how many of you would step out from where you're standing right now and join me down here at the front and say, Lord, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna give up. And I'm going to go up. 
I said, I'm going to go up. Come on, the Lord wants to pull you back up into the master's house. Come on, the king's table is spread. Hmm. This is for you. This altar is open for you. I run it to you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, backslider. God's still reaching for you. Come on, God's reaching for you. Yes, 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 in the name of Jesus.